thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Freed Thinker Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tyler Vela. On this episode, we are going to be wrapping up the series, going through the book of Judges and trying to read it with a redemptive historical uh, and uh, grammatical historical methodology to see how uh, those hermeneutical principles would uh, help us to understand uh, this this book of the Bible. So we are going to be wrapping up starting in chapter 17 to the end. Uh, if you are not caught up with the podcast, head on back to the prior episodes working through uh, the book of Judges because uh, this is going to layer in quite a bit of the observation observations that we had made Previously, so with that, uh, if you appreciate this content or any other content from uh, the Free Thinker podcast, blog, or YouTube channel, please consider becoming a patron. You can head over to Patreon, uh, become a sponsor there, or you can head over to the blog at freethinkerpodcast.blogspot.com and click the Become a Sponsor link. So with that, let's dive right in as we continue our exposition of the Book of Judges. Enjoy the show. <laughs> So we are wrapping up the final cycle of apostasy and deliverance. We are now reaching what is called the double conclusion of, uh, uh, of the book of Judges, starting in chapter 17, verse 1. Um, this is actually in somewhat in contrast uh, to the, the double introductions to the book. So you can actually see the unwinding and the unraveling. Remember, I, I, I think that this book is, uh, is just a brilliant masterpiece. Um, where it has this thematic development unraveling happen at the same time it has these literary structures really following those same those same trends. Uh, so with this with the double conclusion, the main message in the refrain of the uh, of these conclusions is <clears throat> is the is the duplicate in those days there was no king and every man did what was right in his own eyes. We see this in 17:6, 18:1, 19:1 and 21. 25. Now, there's no physical king to give the people spiritual leadership. There's no spiritual leadership. There's no king over God's people. The only ones who have been kings have been shown to be apart from or uh, or, or disobeying the law of God. Remember, there's this uh, there's this idea that this is, depending on how you look at it, this is either a monarchical or an anti-monarchical book. Um, and it's showing, really, that God is supposed to be the only king of Israel. And anytime they try to set up a king for themselves, like the kings of the nations, it does not go well for them. There is a complete breakdown of God's law leading to all kinds, all manner of sexual and social perversion. And we're going to see this. Um, largely, you know, th this double conclusion is showing the canonization of Israel, finally, that has been unrolling and unraveling throughout this entire book, finally just comes to a head, right? The, the, the parallels become so stark that it's just unavoidable. So, um, so what is this double conclusion? So we have the first conclusion uh, from 17.1 to 18.31. Uh, and this is the, 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 the first conclusion deals with the difficulties of domestic idols, right? I, uh, homegrown idols, 
among Israel, right? This is in contrast to the second introduction of the book of Judges, which describes the difficulties that Israel had with foreign religious idols, right? We see that in 2.6 to 3.6. Um, they are now manufacturing their own idols. They are, it's not because they're subject to somebody else. This is homegrown. They are, they are making their own idols. This is, this is progress again uh, in, in, a downward, in a downward direction. They are, they are at the bottom of the toilet bowl now at this point. There's a direct contrast to Deuteronomy 12, 1 uh, and 13, to 13.1, uh, which describes the central place of worship. That is wherever the ark was um, probably at this point in history that the ark would have been at Shiloh. We see that in uh, 1831. Um, but but here, in, in contrast to where, you know, the, the ark, again, is probably at Shiloh, but rather than following Deuteronomy, which is that worship is to be wherever the ark is, right? Because God hasn't hasn't set up the, the you know, the temple. Uh, Jerusalem is the main cultic site. Um, here, there, there are cult sites everywhere. There's cult sites all over the hills, right? The, these cult sites are, are supposed to be destroyed. We see that in 12.2, uh, but the, and they're not supposed to be constructed, right? But, but what, are we, what are we actually seeing uh, happening? Um, we, so let, let, let's read uh, about Micah's idolatry. So starting in chapter 17, now there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my hearing, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, blessed be my son by the Lord. He then returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I wholly consecrate the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and cast metal and a cast metal image. So now I will return them to you. So when he returned the silver to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave them to the silversmith who made them into a carved image and a cast metal image. And they were in the house of Micah. Um, so here we have the, the manufacturer uh, and, the, and the production. There is, uh, they, they, they are supposed to be worshiping, um, at, again, at the Ark. Uh, at the Ark of the Covenant, where the, the, the central location, uh, and that's endorsed in 12, 4 through 7 and verse 11, uh, but it's repeatedly ignored, right? So we, again, we see we see that they are worshiping. It's it's at, you know, he's worshiping this idol at his own home. We see that repeatedly. Uh, it, it continues on, or the, it's at the house of Micah, verse 5, and the, uh, the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household idols and consecrated one of his sons so that he might become a priest. Right, this this should be red light, red light. You know, danger, Will Robinson, danger. Every single one of these. Again, when we're dealing with atheists and they're like, oh, look, look what the Bible is prescribing. The Bible isn't. It doesn't have to say this is bad. It doesn't have to be prescriptive that way. It's already been prescriptive throughout the law. The reader, the 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 informed reader, is supposed to look at this and understand. Every single one of these steps is wrong, right? It, it, he's, you're, you're not supposed to make your own ephod. The, the high priest of, of the Levitical order has that. Uh, you're not supposed to have your own household idols. You don't just get to consecrate as a priest whoever you want to in your household, right? And, and this is followed up in verse 6 where it says, In those days there was no king of Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Um, so we, we have this very clear um, ignoring of this this idea of there's this this central location where worship is supposed to happen and and it's it's not happening that way. Uh, we read in verse uh, in verse thirteen, continuing on that you know Micah does all these really you know terrible 
un-legal un, 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 uh, things, non-legal, you know, illegal things. Uh, and so uh, he, he, he gets, he, he finds a Levite. Basically, this man is traveling. He finds a Levite and, uh, and he makes him his own house priest, effectively. Uh, it's ver- starting in verse 12. It says, so Micah consecrated the Levite and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. All right, so th- this is this is a Levite priest. He is a Levite. He's from he's from Bethlehem in Judah, but he's not serving at the tabernacle. He's he's a paid uh, private priest for Micah. Verse thirteen. Uh, then Micah said, "Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest." Uh, th- this is just, uh, I-, I mean, this is just abysmally. This is about as uh, you know as as bad as it gets. But wait, it's going to get, it's going to get worse. Uh, there's support of the Levites at the, you're, you're supposed to support the Levites at the central, uh, you know, cultic site at where the, where the Ark is, um, at the tabernacle. You're not supposed to have these private shrines, these private house priests, right? Uh, there's a breakdown of morality among the individual Eva, uh, uh, Israelites, right? Micah is actually a shortened form, uh, of Micayahu, which means who is like Yahweh, but Yahweh is actually entirely absent from this story, right? So, so God is uh, from from this point forward, right? After the final deliverance of uh, of Samson, uh, Yahweh is 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 nowhere to be found. Um, uh, and, and it, he's he's nowhere. He's just gone, right? So, so even though in name only Micah is um, uh, is is a you know an Israelite, recognizing the the exclusivity of and the 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 wonder and the glory of Yahweh. In his name, he doesn't act that way, <clears throat> right? We're told that he steals from his own mother. Uh, he, he confesses his transgression, right? But he doesn't do what the law requires him to do, right? The law requires him to do a certain act of restitution. He's supposed to give a guilt offering at the tabernacle and so on and so forth. But rather, uh, they, they, manu- they, they take the gold that was actually stolen, return it, and then turn it into an idol, right? He, he, he then establishes an illegitimate cult shrine, at his own house, he hires his own private house Levite priest. Right? This is just this is just awful, awful, awful. Takes uh, this takes place in the hill country of Ephraim. We see that in seventeen one, um, which isn't that far from Shiloh, right? So so it, it it's it's almost like um, it's close enough to Shiloh where the where the ark most likely is. Um, and so he really is without excuse. Like, it, it's not like he's super far away and is like, oh, well, you know, I, I can't worship even if I wanted to. Not that that would be a good reason, but at least, you know, here it's like you're, you're like right next door. <laughs> you, you could just hop over to where the ark is. Um, uh, we, see, we see in 1831, the, the text makes this clear, um, this clear contrast. Right, so I, I'm not just drawing this out by looking at a map. Right, the text the text says this in 1831. Uh, speaking of these these um, these images, uh, it says so they set up for themselves Micah's carved image which he had made all the time that the house of God was at Shiloh. Right, the text is telling us, look, that you know, they know where the Ark of the Covenant is. They know where they're supposed to worship. They're just not doing it. All right, we see this breakdown of morality, not among, not just among the people, but among the Levites, right? Again, the fact that a Levite would think that he should be a hired private home priest is a, is a major problem. Um, we see a, a, a in 1830, right, just before this mentioned about Shiloh, it says, The sons of Dan set up for themselves a carved image, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests of 
to the tribe of the Danites and to the day of the captivity of the land. Right? So we have a descendant of Gershom, right? The son of Moses, the, uh, a, a member of the, 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 the Kehathite clan of the Levites, who were given towns in Ephraim, Dan, and, and in the Cisjordan Manasseh in Joshua 21 through uh, 21:5 and 20:26, 20, um, and 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 they are they you know they're they're in this direct lineage, and they are acting uh, they're acting sinfully, right? So you you get this they get this notion of this kind of um, well, well let me let me let me back up. Right. Let me let me let me back up and read through uh, right this, this section in dealing with um, uh, in dealing with this kind of wandering um, wandering opportunist. Right. This 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 priest, um, you know, establishing these illegitimate places of of worship. Right. So starting in verse fourteen, then five of the men who went to spy out the country of Laish said to their kinsmen, "Do you know that there are in these houses an ephod?" and household idols, and a carved image, and cast metal image. Now then, consider what you should do. So they turned aside there, and came to the house of the young man, the Levite, to the house of Micah, and asked him how he was doing. Meanwhile, the six hundred men, armed with their weapons of war, who were, uh, who were of the sons of Dan, were positioned at the entrance of the gate. Now, the five men who went to spy out the land went up and entered there. They took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols, and the cast metal image, where, while the priest was standing at the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. When these men entered Micah's house uh, and, and, took, uh, sorry, and took the carved image, the ephod, household idols, and the cast metal image, the priest said to him, What are you doing? And they said, Be silent, put your hand over your mouth, and go with us, and be to us a father and a priest. It's kind of like lost boys, it's kind of lost boys kind of feeling. Um, is it better for you to be a priest of the house of one man, right? Or the priest of the tribe and a family in Israel? The priest's heart was glad and he took the ephod and the household idols and the carved image and went along went among the people, right? So you, so you have one, one clan kind of wandering with this, with this militia. They come to the to the land of the you know the city the city of Laish where where Micah is. Uh, they basically we're going to plunder it. They find this priest and they say, hey, if you want to become our priest, like you can be this this single guy's private priest, and you're going to lose all your stuff, probably you know pain of death as well, or you can come be our priest. You can be a priest to a whole clan. You can get a promotion. Don't you want that? And, and it says you know the priest his heart was his heart was glad. He's looking for he's looking for the gold. So he helps them. He takes he takes the ephod. He takes the household idols. He takes the carved image on his way. Right? You have this illegitimate priest, um, you know, wandering around the people. Right? He he li he lives with Micah for support, but then when he's told uh, that that by these brigands that he could make more money, basically he could be a priest for more people, which means more offerings, more things. Uh, he takes it. Right? It says he's he's glad. Right? There's 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 this there's this total ignorance of the law right there's this total ignorance uh, of uh how a priest is supposed to be a priest where they're supposed to minister all that kind of stuff there there's an ignorance that 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 the priests are not supposed to be household priests and there's this kind of theological ignorance right i mean uh, remember micah said that he thought now the lord would bless him because he had his own priest completely ignoring that god has already told them how priests should be and how they would be blessed 
Uh, there's a breakdown again of the tribes. We see this in the migration of the of the Danites, right? It's a, they, 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 they have a failure to complete the job of, of taking the land uh, that God has given them. So they're now just wandering around trying to take other people, other Israelite land that God has given to other people. Uh, they, they seek an oracle from from Jonathan the Levite uh, in uh, earlier. Uh, we didn't we didn't read that one, but you, you can read through these passages. Um, they, they, they engage in improper divination uh, uh, using an invalid ephod and, and teraphim. Uh, they, they, remember, the, the already revealed will of God has been given to them, right? God already told them where their land was. And they, they, they seek this divination to find out where they should be. Uh, the, the, they, they, they rationale, they, they, they give this rationale to slaughter uh, the, the, the people of Laish. Uh, and they use uh, they use the the prosperity prophecy of the priest to endorse them slaughtering these these people. Uh, if you if you read through the passage, um, uh, it's it, starting in verse twenty seven. Uh, then they took what Micah had made and the priest who had belonged with them and came to Laish Laish to a people quiet and unsuspecting, and struck them with the edge of the sword and they were burned and they burned the city with fire. And there was no one to save them because it was far from Sidon and they had no dealings with anyone. And it was in the valley, which is near Beth Rehov. So they rebuilt the city and lived in it. And they named the city Dan after the name of Dan, their father, who was born to Israel. However, the name of the city previously was Laish. The sons of Dan set up for themselves the carved image and Jonathan, the son of Gesh. Gershom, the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. Right, so 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 you have you you have the Danites who refused and were unable to defeat the Canaanites, so they're going to go strike their own brethren uh, and take land that God didn't give them and gave to somebody else. Right, so they're they're willing to put. Uh, uh, you know the, 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 this this area to the ban to the sword right under under holy war take take it in the name of uh, uh, what they what they would do in the name of in the name of their god they think they're blessed they think they're worshiping there but they but they wouldn't actually obey the commandment that God gave them to settle the land of the Canaanites so that's that's the that's the first conclusion that that ends in chapter eighteen. You then get the second conclusion of the double conclusion, right? There's there's these domestic wars, there's these domestic harems, these domestic uh, holy wars, right? There's parallels to the first introduction from one one two five, which describes these foreign wars of subjugation with the application of harem. Uh, the Israelites didn't carry out the ban. There's this, again, there's the irony that the Israelites couldn't carry out and complete the ban against the Canaanites, but they had no problem doing it to each other. Uh, it opens and ends with the, that familiar refrain uh, in in 19:1. Now it came about in those days when the king, uh, when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite staying in the remote part of the hill country of Ephraim who took a concubine for himself from Bethlehem in Judah. So that familiar refrain, "There's no king uh, in 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 the land," it, it wraps up in 21:25 uh, with a similar refrain. Uh, anonymity here is is kind of the rule, right? No one's named really, in, in these passage. Um, and the only person that's named is a minor figure, Phineas the priest, uh, who officiates at Bethel. Um, and we see this in, in 2028. No one else in this entire section is named. It, it's, it's uh, for, for those of you who, are, you know, you're reading through these Old Testament passages and it's these names and these names and these names, you can't, you can't count it. 
to have this many new characters introduced and none of them named. Well, the, the one, this minor character, Phineas the Priest named, uh, is, is, is telling. Um, this, this goes to that, that, that previous practice or that practice in, in these days uh, of, uh, of basically uh, expunging peoples from history, right? You don't, you don't, you don't memorialize them in history because you, you, you dash their names from the record. Um, <clears throat> the, the certain characters uh, stand really in for wider groups. They, they kind of are, are stand-ins. They're, they're, they're representatives, right? So there's, there's a, the Levite stands for kind of all the Levites. The concubine stands for all, all, all women, how they're treated. Uh, the father-in-law is is a representative, right? This this whole stand-in, uh, he's a stand-in for how hosts are are acting, right? It's, it's using this as an example of how pervasively evil Israelite has gotten, right? The old man is is uh, stands for kind of all the outsiders in a Benjaminite town. Uh, by the way, this is the story of uh, the Levite takes uh, a concubine for himself. He travels to a town in in in, in Dan. Uh, I, I'm sorry, in um, in Benjamin. Uh, and the, the, it basically rehashes the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, except in this case, uh, the the angels are not there to rescue them. There is no there there is no deliverer to kind of divert disaster, and this concubine is effectively gang raped, uh, and then in in revulsion, uh, her her um, the priest her her you can't say husband I don't I don't know what you call it the, a concubine is to him I don't know what he his, he is to, to her, I don't know what you'd call that, whatever he is to her, uh, chops her up and sends her, you know, to all, to all the nations and calls for this, this war. There's some significance here, right? That this idea is that, you know, they're, they're in this one town in Benjamin, but really in, in this one town, Jebus, right? Uh, which, which will become Jerusalem, by the way, this is, this is in, in, in the, in the soil of Jerusalem. The significance is that th this could happen anywhere. This this is this is this is a, a you know a, to to kind of mix categories. This is a casuistic story. This is a for instance, but it could apply all over the place. This is just a, a an example, and, th and it's showing how bad Israel had gotten. It reflects just the dehumanization of of individuals in 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 how evil and depraved um, uh, Israel had become. Uh, to to. To, it, it, no one's again the, the 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 lack of a name dehumanizes them, right? But to have a name is to be identifiable as a person, right? So so it's 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 almost saying these these people they're 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 not even they're not even human enough to have a name, right? They're they're so depraved that they they've lost what's essential to their humanity. In in that regard, that's kind of the the moral uh, import of of the tone of this passage. Right. The, the main theme of the second conclusion is the breakdown of the community and the social relationship among God's people. Right. There's this breakdown of social relationships on, on, uh, at basically every single level in the local level. Um, the extent of the moral decline. Uh, again, this is another Levite that's involved. Remember, the Levites are supposed to be the protectors of orthodoxy or, or the protectors of orthopraxy, the protectors of the holiness of the people. Uh, we see we see uh, the Levite. <clears throat> he doesn't even marry someone. He takes a concubine, right, a second class wife, basically, um, who performed the marriage duties without the legal status of a full wife. Right. So you, you know th this is this is a Levite doing this. No one was supposed to do this, but the Levites. I mean, this is egregious. Um, there's hospitality issues. 
right? The father-in-law demonstrates hospitality. Uh, Gibeah, an Israelite city, does not offer hospitality. Uh, an old man who's a temporary resident of Gibeah offers um, uh, the, the, the man a place to stay. Uh, but the wicked men of Gibeah seek homosexual relations with the visitor. And there's a counter offer, the old man's daughter and the concubine, much like Sodom and Gomorrah. There is this, uh, there's this kind of relativism that is pervasive. Uh, good and evil are confused in the old man's speech to, to try to dissuade the people. So uh, you, can, you can see, while celebrating, behold, the men of the city, certain worthless men, surrounded the house, pushing on one another in the door. And they spoke to the owner of the house, the old man, saying, bring out the man who entered your house that we may have relations with him. Then the man said, the owner of the house, went out that, uh, that to them and said to them, no, my brothers, please do not act so wickedly. Since this man has come into my house, do not commit this vile sin. And so you start off and you're like, okay, like he's going he's gonna to try to do the right thing. But then he follows it up with, here is my daughter, my vir- sorry, here's my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Please let me bring them out, then rape them and do to them whatever you wish. But do not commit this act of vile sin against this man. But the men would not listen to him. So the men seized his concubine and brought her outside to them. And they raped her and abused her all night until morning then let her go at the approach of John. As the day began to dawn, the woman came and fell down at the doorway of the man's house where her master was until full daylight. I mean, in reading this, you are supposed to be uh, disgusted at, at every single, almost every single word of this. Right? There, there's, there's the obvious horror uh, of uh, of the 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 gang rape of the of the concubine, but you 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 look at everything and, and just like okay, well how did how did we get here? Well, you have Levites who are uh, who are not following the law and who are, have concubines and who are traveling house priests who are not whole, protecting the purity of the people, right? You 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 have this this they're, they're massacring each other. Right? At every level, this society is about as ungodly. They've become Canaanites, is the idea. Um, you, you notice the, the, the negative refrain throughout this passage of there was no king, and everyone did what was, evil, what was good in their own eyes. Uh, you see that refrain in his, in his appeal to them. He says uh, in, in verse 24, um, do whatever you think is right in your eyes. Do whatever you wish. He's, he's telling them. He's, he's basically exhorting them with the very words of the negative refrain throughout the entire book. Right? And we are, we are supposed to see that this, that this city in Benjamin, remember, this is, Benjamin is where, where, where Saul is going to come from, where the next king, the, you know, the first king of Israel is going to come from. We, we are supposed to see that this, that this city, as a representative of, of, of really any city, is, is so evil, is so bad, is so wicked that it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. It, it, it ought to be judged. It ought to be wiped off the, the face of the earth. It ought to have you know, hail of, of, of sulfur and burning fire rain down on it like, the, like Sodom and Gomorrah. That's really, the, it's showing it is that bad. There's self-centered lack of concern um, for, for the Levite. Right? There, there's no mention that he resists. He's just like, yeah, take my concubine. Do what you got to do. He, he sleeps 
throughout the night, right? So we see this in verse 27. When her master got up in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, right? Like he was just going to be like, oh, I'm just going to get up and I'm just going to get up and go. I, I slept all night. Thanks for the rest. Didn't care. And behold, his concubine was lying in the doorway of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, get up and let's go. But there was no answer. Then he put her on the donkey and the man set out and went to his home. When he entered his house, he took a knife and seized his concubine and cut her in 12 pieces limb by limb. Then he sent her throughout the territory of Israel. All who saw it said, nothing like this has ever happened or been seen from the day when the sons of Israel came up from the land of Egypt to this day. Consider it, make a plan and speak up. So he, he sleeps all night. He, he callously is just like, eh, get up, let's go. He takes her home. It, right, it doesn't say that she's dead. It just says that there's no movement. Now, it kind of insinuates that she's dead, but it, it leaves it vague. Right? It leaves it, you, 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 you are supposed to question, did, did he kill her? Did he finish the job just so he could cut her up and send her parts out? He dismembers the body and sends the parts to the 12 tribes, <clears throat> which, again, you have a Levite touching a dead body. Uh, and do, and doing again, it's just it, it's it's just in, in, in every in every way that the, the Levites are not supposed to act, these Levites are acting. Um, there's a breakdown of all, all social relationships on a national level. Now there is a what, what's interesting is you would think reading through this. What what has been the outcome of every cycle, right? So they 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 don't conquer a land. They apostatize and start seeing the gods of the other nations. They get enslaved. What's the next part of the cycle normally? They cry out and repent. And then God raises a deliverer. Here, God's already said there's no one to deliver them. But reading this, you're still thinking, okay, are they going to cry out? Are they going to cry out in godliness? Are they going to reform? Right? That, that's kind of what you should expect the cycle to do. Right? So it says, do you, you know, when it, when it says act up, do you have a plan? There's a sense where the plan should be, you know, repent, turn, turn from your sin, reform, <laughs> go, go back to God. Um, but that's not, that's not what happens. Uh, you, you get this unified rally, this, this massive response from the greatest number of tribes in Israel in the entire book of Judges, right? So if, uh, in, in 20 verse 1, it says, Then all the sons of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, came out, and the congregation assembled as one person to the Lord at Mizpah. I remember when they're—you couldn't even do this when, when Israelite was being conquered by the Canaanites. Um, they, you know, they, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't band together as a nation to do what God actually told them to do. Uh, continuing on, and the leaders and all the people and all the tribes of Israel took their stand in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers who drew the sword. Now the sons of Benjamin heard that the sons of Israel had gone up to, to Mizpah, right? So this is, this is basically all the tribes except for Benjamin. And the sons of Israel said, let us, uh, sorry, tell us how did this wickedness play, take place? Now notice it says that they, um, uh, the congregation came together as one person to the Lord at Mizpah. Right? That, that means they gathered where the ark was. 
<clears throat> typically in the cycle at this point, again, it says that they then cry out to the Lord. Uh, in this case, it says they gather to the Lord, which means they gather where the ark is. But they don't actually cry out to the Lord. When they say, tell us, they're talking to the Levite. The husband of the woman who was murdered answered and said, I came with my concubine to spend the night at Gibeah, which belongs to Benjaminite, which belongs to Benjamin. For the citizens of Gibeah rose up against me and surrounded the house at night, threatening me. They intended to kill me. Instead, they raped my concubine, so she died. And I took hold of the concubine and cut her into pieces and sent her throughout the land of Israel's inheritance, for they have committed an outrageous sin and vile act in Israel. Behold, all you sons of Israel, give your response and advice here. Then all the people rose up as one person saying, Not one of us will go to his tent, nor will any of us go home. But now this thing uh, which we will do to Gibeah, we will go up against it by lot and will take ten men out of a hundred throughout the tribe of Israel and a hundred out of the thousand and a thousand out of the ten thousand to supply provisions for the people so that when they come to Gibeah of Benjamin, they may punish them for all the vile sin they have committed in Israel. So all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, united as one man. Right? There is... Um, there's this improper investigation about this. Right? You're, you're, you're not supposed to... According to Deuteronomy 13, 14, you're not supposed to act based on the witness of only one person. You're not, you're not supposed to execute justice based on the, the, the testimony of only one witness. Deuteronomy 13, 14. But they only hear from from one person, right? The, the, the Canaanite. Uh, his, his story is wildly slanted, right? He's clearly the innocent victim. Um, and they, 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 they launch this inter-tribal warfare, right? They, they engage in battle against Benjamin, which they would never have done against the Canaanites, right? Remember, they, they, they continually failed to unite against the Canaanites. Some would stay back. They wouldn't always help each other. They'd be like, oh, you go. We have the other things we have to do, right? The, the, the first battle here, um, you, you, even if you assume the battle is appropriate, which is not, uh, They, they, they seek God and so, so, so here, okay, let's, <clears throat> let's read. Now the sons of Israel set out, went up from Bethel, this is verse 18, uh, went up to Bethel and inquired of God and said, who shall go up first for us to battle against the sons of Benjamin? Then the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Now what's interesting so you have to remember when it says the Lord said it, it, this this is this is how they would have interpreted you know um, the the umum and the thumum however however those are used um, this is this is the priest interpreting those those signs and the Lord says that that Israel will go up first it doesn't say Israel's or sorry Judah's going to go up first it doesn't say Judah's going to win which is interesting. Right, a lot of times in these in these in these uh, these types of passages, where the Lord is giving ma marching orders, right? He tells them exactly what to do, how to do it, and 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 how they'll have victory. That's 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 missing here. The Lord simply says, uh, "Judah first. 
um, in the Hebrew, it's just Judah first. We, we interpret that as the command, Judah should go up first or shall go up first. They lose. Um, we, we see that they, they go up. Uh, the, son, uh, the men of Israel went to battle against Benjamin. The men of Israel lined up for battle against them at Gibeah. Then the sons of Benjamin came out of Gibeah and struck to the ground on that day 22,000 men of Israel. But the people... The men of Israel showed themselves courageous and lined up for battle again in the place where they had lined themselves up the first day. And the sons of Israel went up to, and wept before the Lord until evening and inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall we again advance for battle against the sons of my, bro uh, uh, of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against them. Again, he, he's not saying you're going to win. He just says, Go up against them. <clears throat> Verse 24. So the sons of Israel came against the sons of Benjamin on the second day. And Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah the second day and struck to the ground 18,000 men of the sons of Israel. All of these drew the sword. Then all the sons of Israel and all the people went up to came to Bethel, and they wept and remained there before the Lord, and they fasted until the evening, and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. Uh, and Phineas, remember he's the only one that's named, the son of Eliezer, Aaron's son, stood before the minister in those days, stood before it to minister in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the sons of my brother Benjamin, or shall I stop? And the Lord said, Here's where we see, go up for tomorrow, I will hand them over to you. All right, so he, he is going to punish uh, Gibeah for their sin. Um but it's almost in a way that Israel had to learn their lesson that until they are actually relying on God and doing it's not it's not until after they lose twice that they follow the law of of how they are supposed to uh, purify themselves to the Lord. Uh, so the third battle they inquire of the Lord throughout through the high priest this time. Uh, they do it before the ark. They do the proper uh, the, the, the the proper sacrifices. And Yahweh gives them assurance of victory. They'll be successful uh, against uh, as as the punishment against Benjamin. Right, the, the parallels um, <coughs> it parallels the beginning. Right, there's the ban against the Canaanites, um, uh, but they have more determination than they ever had before to exterminate the Benjaminites. Right, we in in prior in prior sections where they're going against the Canaanites, we see that they lose once and they flee. Here they lose. They muster themselves again. They lose again. They muster themselves again, and then they seek the Lord. And they're like, "Okay, we're going to do it again." But like, are we? Should should we go? Like, they they're they're not willing to give up so easily. But it's against their their own brother Benjamin. They weren't that willing when it was against the Canaanites, who you know were sacrificing children, and who God had actually commanded them to go and dislodge from the land. Right. So they they were they were more willing to keep attacking over and over and over, and inquiring of the Lord when fighting Benjamin than against the Canaanites. Um, we then see uh, two rash oaths. This is um, kind of a theme in Judges, if you think back to, to Jephthah, his rash oaths. Right? They, they promise not to give their daughters in marriage to the Benjaminites. Um, this is a there's there's a parenthetical flashback in in verse one, chapter twenty one, 
uh, it says, now, now the men of Israel had sworn in Mizpah, saying, None of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin in marriage. So the people came to Bethel, sat before God until evening, and raised their voices and wept profusely. And they said, Why, Lord, God of Israel, has this happened in Israel that one tribe is missing today from Israel? Right, so, so it's, 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 it's saying, look, they, they made this, they wiped out all the, all the men of, uh, of, of Benjamin, but they had made this commandment that they are, they're not going to give their daughter to a Benjaminite. So, you know, what are, what are they supposed to do? They basically, they basically ensured that Benjamin won't reproduce, right? So they, they have now created, the, the Canaanites could wipe them out, but they have now almost internally almost guaranteed the danger of this tribal extinction, right? This extinction of one of the tribes of Israel. And they feel this emotional anguish for it, right? So uh, in, in 21, 6 through 7, And the sons of Israel were sorry for their brother Benjamin and said, Today one tribe is cut off from Israel. What are we to do for wives for those who are left since we have sworn by the Lord not to give them any of our daughters as wives? Um, they, they slaughter the clan of Jabesh Gilead for, for not going to fight with them uh, to get their virgins. <laughs> and then uh, there's this irony. They're, they're remorseful that they have potentially ended the tribe of Benjamin. So to solve it, they slaughter the one clan that didn't help them slaughter the tribe of Benjamin. Um so they, 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 they basically, uh, in, order, in order to, right, they, they slaughter the men of Benjamin, but they vow that they're not going to give their own daughters. So we're in, this, we're in this pickle. So what are we going to do? Well, this one tribe that didn't join us in beating Benjamin, they didn't make that rash vow. So we're going to go kill those guys, take their daughters, and then give them to Benjamin. So you kind of have this illegitimate marriage of these you know, kidnapped women from a tribe that were, they just slaughtered the men just to steal their women to give them to this other tribe where they slaughtered a bunch of people but promised not to give their own daughters to. Like the, the, the rationale behind this is just so, so abominable when, as you're reading through this. You're suppo again, you're supposed to be disgusted by this. Um, there, there's an oath that anyone who didn't uh, assemble at Mizpah for battle should be put to death. Uh, there's the, again, uh, you know, this oath taken before battle. It helps the, they're trying to help this dilemma of finding wives, uh, for the men of Benjamin, but they do it in this, this disgusting, uh, way. Um, they have some further convoluted solutions. The city of Jabesh Gilead did not send warriors for the, uh, for, for the war so that they are, are not bound by that oath. Um, and, and, and that oath allows the slaughter of the inhabitants of Gilead, except for the virgins. Uh, but they end up being <clears throat> about 200 women short, is, is, what, it, is, is what we're told. Um, and uh, so the men of Benjamin go uh, to the feast of Yahweh at Shiloh and kidnap the women as they join the dancing for the feast. <laughs> so so uh, right, Israel you know, wipes out uh, the, the clan of Jabesh Gilead to steal their virgins, to give them to Benjamin, but it was 200 people short. So Benjamin retaliates. They go to, they go to the, the feast of Yahweh at Shiloh and they kidnap the women as they're, as they're dancing at the feast. Uh, if the fathers complained, they'll be reminded that if they do not accept the kidnappings, they'll be held responsible for giving their daughters in marriage to the Benjamites, which means oath, the second oath comes into play. That if they do give their daughters, then they're 
to be put to death themselves, right? So it's this, they, they, they've created these two rash vows that are in con, you can't keep them both. Um, they shouldn't have made either of them, but it puts them in this position where they, they can't, they can't resist uh, Benjamin kidnapping their, their, their daughters uh, because if they do, then they're in violation of this other oath uh, that they made. Uh, they, they, so they use they use one oath to circumvent and to the justification of the other. Um, they do uh, what is le uh, technically it's legal, uh, but it's obviously morally reprehensible. So the downward spiral, um, again, and, and, and that largely wraps up uh, the, the, the text. So the, the downward spiral that's evidenced um, throughout this book, uh, we see has come to its to its full uh, its full resting place at, at the bottom of the toilet. Right, so you have this failure of Israel to complete the conquest, led uh, which led the nation on this downward spiral of religious, moral, and social chaos. Right, this is the canonization uh, of Israel. Uh, the cycles of judges place Gideon at the at the center of all the cycles, which is a pivotal place. It's a turning point in the book. Um, if you go back and listen to the to the section on Gideon. Um, it's a detailed account of his opposition to idolatry at the beginning, but at the end, he's promoting idolatry. Uh, there's 40 years of peace after Gideon in the last uh, statement of periods. Uh, 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 last, uh, p uh, th that's where we find the last statement uh, of peace anywhere in the book. Um, the question in, in chapter 8, verses 22, is a key question of the book. Who is the rightful ruler of Israel? Right, you see that refrain, there's, there, and there was no king in those days, and there was no king in those days. Right? The people attribute the victory of Gideon, uh, uh, to, sorry, the people attribute the victory to Gideon, not to Yahweh, even though before the battle Gideon had given Yahweh the credit. Um, that, and that is the central heart of the book. Yahweh is actually the divine king, Israel's protector and defender, uh, and, and they continue to, to seek to usurp him uh, with other with other forms of leadership, with other types of kings, um, the downward spiral is also seen in the symmetry between the double introductions and the double conclusion. Right, so the the, the first conclusion uh, is the of difficulties with domestic idols is a contrast uh, to the second introduction, which describes the difficulties Israel has with foreign idols. The second conclusion, which is domestic wars with the harem, parallels the first introduction, which describes foreign wars of subjugation with the application of the harem. Uh, the double conclusion shows the religious and moral decline. Uh, Judah is successful uh, versus Judah is defeated. So in the, in, in the introduction, Judah is successful. In the, in the conclusion, Judah is defeated. Uh, you have tribal unity in, in chapter 1, verses 3, versus tribal conflict, which you have this conflict between Judah and Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin fails to drive out the Jebusites at the beginning versus uh, they're avoiding Jebus when looking for a place to stay. The, the canonization of Israel, uh, Israel is no longer better than the Canaanites. They are just as bad. Inhospitality took place in Israelite cities. Gibeah is no different than Sodom. The crime of Gibeah is actually dwarfed by the slaughter of, of, of Jabesh Gilead in, in response and retaliation. Um, you see the canonization of the leaders, right? So you contrast Joshua and Caleb, uh, for example, uh, who, who, who is a king uh, like them. Uh, international, they're, they're, they're international statesmen, they're domestic leaders, and they, they, they have a proper lineage. The leadership of the period of the judges shows this downward spiral. Samson at the very bottom of the spiral. 
Uh, you have Levitical leadership is ignorant and not concerned about the law, right? So there, you have these roving house priests. They're, they're not giving any type of spiritual leadership. And the elders in the second conclusion are behind the plan to kidnap women at the very festival of the Lord. Um, the, 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 this book tells us and, and shows us that, that we, we are in need for the judge who is to come. We can see that in 2 Timothy 4, 8, uh, seen especially in the parallels between Samson and Jesus. So the, the end of this passage is, is pointing us toward the need for the true king. Right? Proximately, it's pointing us to, to David. Right? You're, you're supposed to see this, 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 this difference between uh, you know, how bad the Benjaminites are, the Gibeonites, right? that's where Saul is going to come from, uh, and we, and we are to be looking for the true king, right? The Davidic king. So approximately it's David. Um, but that should, you know, David points us beyond himself to, to Jesus. Um, and, and Samson shows us that, that as, as the last judge, as the last deliverer, as the last savior of his people, could point beyond himself. Um, they, they, they both have births announced by an angel to the mother of the child, Samson, uh, he, he'll begin with deliverance. Jesus, he will save his people from their sins, which is complete deliverance. Uh, after their births, those similar statements are made. Samson, uh, we're told he grew and the Lord blessed him. Jesus, we're told the child grew and became strong and full of wisdom in Luke 2. Uh, people recognize the distinction of these men with, with the question, who is this man that he can do such things? We see that in Judges 16.5 and in Matthew 21.10 and Luke 7.49. Uh, the, the, we see the relationship to his own people. Samson delivered is delivered into the hands of the Philistines by his own people, then struck down by the Philistines. Jesus is delivered into the hands of the Romans by his own people, but died a voluntary death on the behalf of his people. I'm uh, sorry, involuntary death. Uh, the, the, the high point of their life was their deaths. Samson died with, uh, with and among the Philistines to, to accomplish the, the, the protection of his people, and Jesus died his death to, to protect his people. Um, however, Samson was not able to fully deliver Israel. Jesus is able to fully deliver the Israel of God, the people of God. And so as we see, as we, as we wrap up this book, that, that even though this book is this entire downward spiral, circling the toilet bowl, getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, Seeing that Israel is is getting Canaanized, they're getting they're getting worse as it goes. They don't have a true king. That it is pointing us towards the true king, not just David himself, but the son of David, who would be the true king overall. So thank you so much for joining me and listening through this series through the Book of Judges. Uh, this was not exactly an expository series. It's not exactly an exegetical series. I was trying to do uh, kind of a, a little bit of both throughout those and showing how we would we would handle um, using a redemptive historical and uh, historical grammatical methodology to read through these passages. Um, I, I hope that you found it beneficial and blessings and that you will join me again as we uh, continue to explore uh, God, uh, his word, and, and, and his kingdom and his purpose uh, for, for his kingdom. Uh, I thank you so much for joining me. Good night. And